Hello and welcome. Um, back for another episode of Merged Worlds. I want to apologize that uh, it's been so long since an episode. Um, if you're hanging out on the channel and watching some other streams here over on Twitch, you're probably aware that we're uh, having some medical issues with my wife. She has to have surgery next week and uh, there's just been a lot going on and unfortunately a lot of the doctor's appointments and things, um, the best days for us to do a lot of that was on Thursdays when I normally stream this. So, um, Hoping back to my regular schedule of every other week now. I don't think there should be any uh, real issues there. That said, um, I do want to give just a, a tiny heads up before we get into the story today that um, starting next month in October 2022, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, the my streaming schedule will be changing some to match my new um, uh, work schedule at my regular job. Um, and so uh, that's, uh, that will be coming. Merged Worlds will be moving to every other Tuesday instead of Thursdays, uh, just based on the new work schedule. It's still going to be the same time, 8 to 9.30 or 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, just going to switch slightly different different times. Uh, and he says, quick question, is there a DT20 Dr. Red? No, Red is the 24 months to two years. Uh, at this point, that's the highest one that YouTube offers, so I don't have a way of adding any more. But if they do, I will definitely add another one. I have a couple other ones ready should they open up for the ability to add more than two years. Uh, they just, at this point, I don't have one. All the colors are taken. So, uh, sadly not. He's, uh, what he was asking there is on YouTube, if you're a member of our membership program, uh, you're name is in a different color in chat and you get a little d20 after your name that changes colors the the more uh, the long, more months you've been a member and at two years your two-year anniversary it becomes a red one which was based off supremium from minecraft <laughs> uh but yeah i'll always add more whenever they give me the option to add more i'm always happy to do it uh i think to add a new i think the channel has to hit a hundred thousand subscribers before that can happen um, oh, hello, Ashley. <laughs> you can listen while driving home. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> We're just, just getting started. We're just, again, just talking about that in October. Um, stream schedule is going to be changing for some of, most of my streams. Uh, but Merge Worlds will be moving to every other Tuesday instead of every other Thursday. Uh, it's just going to work out better for my, um, my new work schedule to do so. Overall, the stream schedule, I think, in almost every regard is going to be better. I think my streams are going to be... Uh, you know, I, I can actually stream a bit longer and a bit earlier in the night, so a lot of folks uh, for other streams, it'll just work out real well for them. But Merge Worlds will still be the same 8 to 10 p.m. It'll just be every other Tuesday. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention uh, is that finally, after many months uh, of her putting just so much awesome work into it, um, our channel uh, artist Shadowcast uh, has completed uh, a project. We had a membership donation goal ball back for her to design all of the Merged Worlds Dungeons and Dragons God's Holy Symbols. Um, there were, what, six, six, seven, 19 gods in total uh, that have been released so far. Um, I do have some for uh, Omnion and Onyana, or Omniana. Uh, those are going to come out a little bit later. I'm holding off on those for reasons, uh, but story reasons. But yeah, the original 19, I'm actually wearing one right now. This is the Protovarius, God of Dragons. Uh, this is the symbol that she put together for him. Uh, and you can get them on different colored shirts and mugs and all sorts of stuff if you're interested. And uh, even just seeing some of the awesome designs that she put together, these would be the holy symbols that uh, a cleric would be wearing around their neck or you'd see on a, on a God's banner. 
uh, in a temple and such. You find those all on the ODG store on my website, onlydraven.com. I'd like to just hear your thoughts on them. I mean, you don't have to buy nothing, uh, but you can see all of the ones there. Uh, she put a lot of work into it, and they look really, really nice. Uh, and then before, last thing I want to mention before we get started, if you're watching this today or tomorrow or 10 years down the road, whenever, it would be awesome if you would mind clicking that like button. Um, it does a huge, huge bunch to help the channel out. Uh, definitely lets me know that you're enjoying the programming. If you're listening to this on audio podcasts, on iTunes, Spotify, uh, we're Google Podcasts, we're on um, Amazon Podcasts now, uh, definitely sure to give it the all the five stars and the reviews and the likes and the follows over there as well. Uh, just trying to grow the audience for sure, and it would definitely help out. Okie doke. Now that I've got all that uh, shilling out of the way, uh, we can actually get into some story. So tonight uh, we will be stepping back in to um, the artist's, uh, artist's party storyline. Uh, we left off there a little while back. We 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 got into a certain point in the kingdom of Caradon and then paused and moved over to really jump into what was a big chunk of of Seraph storyline. Um, where if you've been if you've been following that, you'll know that. Uh, it's hit a major milestone now. Uh, you could say the first part of the real quest has been achieved. Uh, I promise you there's still much more to go. Uh, but right now we're in uh, with Artis's group, which consists of Artis, who's a uh, princess of Serenity and a cleric of Zorn, god of uh, truth, traveling with Maeve, who's a minotaur, who is the daughter of Darsh Fohammer, who is a paladin of the god of truth, um, Petal, who's the half-human, half-kenter, daughter of Dandelion and Michael. Uh, she is a wild mage. Um, Ran, who is uh, the son of one of the Knights of Serenity. Um, Shen Quan is his father. Ran Quan uh, dreams of one day being a knight and lives to protect the princess in the same regard. Um, he is, from a character point of view, he's kind of an amalgamation of things. He's a warrior, but with... Um, kind of like rogue, uh, summer rogue kit put in there. And then lastly, we have Capernius, or Kip, uh, who is a half-elven bard that joined them early on, uh, who's become best friends with Ran and uh, uh, really fills in the rogue role of the, uh, of the party at this point. So they were traveling to a kingdom of Caradon. Um, Artis had brought with her a magical scepter from uh, Serenity, that she did not know why or how, but she was she felt the urge to bring it with her, only to find out that it was a sentient magical artifact uh, named Quintius, um, who originally was a living person whose essence has now been inside of this magical artifact dedicated to the goddess of the light, Minara. Um, they found out about the game of the gods, basically the, the battle between chaos and order to determine who's greater, and how Seraph is the heart of that gamble and um, was made aware that there was a danger in the north that not only would be a danger to Seraph in the future, but could eventually spell the end of their home in Serenity if it was not dealt with now. So they broke off their hunt to catch up to Seraph and friends and decided to head north to the kingdom of Caradon. All they knew is that's where they had to go, but they don't know why. Had some adventures on the way, finally made it to Caradon, crossed the country, and made it to the, king, the actual castle, the keep of Caradon, which was on the far east of the kingdom, uh, kind of nestled in just the uh, beginnings of a mountain range. Um, they entered inside. Uh, Brendan, who was the gentleman who met them, he's like kind of like the uh, kind of like a butler type point thing. You know what I mean? 
Uh, he he's introduced them, brings them in, announces them to uh, the three, uh, basically call heads of state, if you will. So there's the king, his daughter, and then there is their um, advisor. Okay, so we got they got there. They weren't they where they were kind of seated to meet them was across from a large room from them. They weren't allowed to get close to them due to the king's very poor health. Um, he doesn't get in range of anyone, doesn't get close with anyone, even though they're clerics. They still carry cold with them, right? They're not clerics of healing. That might, they're clerics of healing. They might have been allowed to get a little bit closer. But because they're not clerics of healing, uh, they, they can't get close because of the king's weak immune system and so on and so forth. So uh, they said, yes, we'll, we'll meet more. It's late in the evening. Stay with us for a few days. We're glad to have you here. It'll be awesome to see you. Uh, stay here for a while and uh, you know, we'll get to know each other. Um, they were being given a tour of the kingdom. Um, and uh, Petal decided to break off from the group. Uh, now, before we go into why, I'm going to pull up, for those of you who are watching the video side of it, uh, this, let me grab it here. This is a photo of the king, King Keldred Wormshield. Okay. Um, the rumors that they heard through the cities as they were traveling here is that the king is ill, uh, that the king has is still deeply in mourning from the loss of his second wife, um, and has entrusted a lot of the goings on to his advisors. Some of the rumors are even that the advisor uh, may be uh, puppeting the king. They're not sure. Uh, a lot, of, of course, all that you hear all that kind of stuff from the people in a kingdom when there's always troubles going around. Even though they haven't really seen any real trouble other than being attacked by the evil wolf things in in the on their way here. After that, there is the princess uh, Soraya Wormshield. That's his daughter uh, and a child of his first marriage. His first marriage uh, wife died uh, giving birth, and the uh, second wife passed away soon after the merge. And then, of course, we have Art Advisor Bartlemus, who is a mage who has become uh, the right hand of the king uh, and oversees a lot of the actual kingdom's needs and what is going on. Um, he's the, the third of that kind of three that they couldn't get super close with, but that were still in this big room. So, they... Uh, Petal decides she wants to check out the library because Bartlemus had showed some interest in Petal because she's a mage too. He said, we don't get a lot of mages here. We get very few clerics as well. And they've, they've already heard great stories about how you know the, the, king, the whole kingdom is very welcoming to clerics, very pro-gods kind of thing. Um, uh, but he seems very interested in Petal. He goes, like, yes, you, you have, to, I have to show you my library. Maybe we can talk mage stuff, so on and so forth. Bartlemus is definitely an older guy. He's probably in his, you know, late 60s at this point, uh, very thin, scholarly as you would expect, hair very grayed, kind of balding on top. You couldn't really see it from the pictures, he has a hood up, but, um, you know, kind of a, an older mage. Um, and Petal, of course, being Petal, a half-kender, very excited with the opportunity to talk magic with someone, especially someone experienced. So she decides to break off and check out the library, and uh, Brendan, the, their guide's like, oh yeah, you're definitely welcome to. The uh, advisor brought him and said, you Welcome to have run of the library. Uh, and Kip decided to go with her, feeling it might be best that she didn't go all by herself. You know, they're being new there and they know they're being some type of trouble, but not what. So Kip and her went into the library, which was a good-sized library for a castle this small, to be honest. Not that it's tiny, but it's not huge, huge. It's not as big as Serenity Keep. Uh, nowhere close to anything in most of the kingdoms they've been to. 
but once they were inside, they heard sounds coming from behind a shelf, and they went over there, kind of, so, they, they, you know, the library's got its rows of, of shelves, right? Uh, books on both sides, and they went around a bookshelf to get inside, and there they discovered the princess had was standing there, had come out from a secret passageway behind the books, um, and immediately had warned them that her and they and their friends need to get out of the kingdom as quickly as possible. <clears throat> and that is where we left off. Right there. Wetting my whistle because I know I'm about to get into some reading. So we're going to be taking over and starting up right from that exact moment. Right when they were getting that warning. I, I'm going to start with a little bit of reading. Uh, if you've not been to one of these before, I break between reading and uh, sometimes improving based on my notes. I have everything written out, but you know sometimes I have specific things to read, and we're going to start with a little bit of that today. Uh, so let's see. You and your friends must leave immediately. You are in incredible danger, said Princess Soraya. What do you mean, asked Petal. In danger from what? Both young women, along with Kip, stood in the castle's library. Petal and, Kip, Petal and Kip had left their friends during the tour of the castle to visit the library, and Petal had been uh, invited there earlier by advisor Bartimus, the kingdom's wizard. We don't have much time, the princess pleaded. He could be here any moment. If Bartimus finds me speaking to you, she hesitated as tears came to her eyes, I'll be punished. We can protect you, said Kip, being very heroic, kind of how Kip is sometimes. You do not understand his power, replied the princess sadly, and what he is capable of. The princess's eyes quickly looked past them towards the door. He's coming. She looked back to Petal. Leave as soon as you can. If you do stay, I will try to speak with you again, here if possible. But do not bring your friends, the cleric or the paladin. It is they whom he fears and will have them watched at all times. The princess stepped back into the narrow hallway behind the bookcase that stood open like a door and then pulled it closed. Once it clicked into place, no sign of a passage could be seen. So, what she's kind of specifically saying there is, hey, you need to leave. But if you decide to say, I'll try to talk with you again if I can, but I can't. if he catches me here, I'm in some serious trouble. Now, Sarai is in her early 20s. I'm going to start with that. You know, right? So she's, she's not a child by any means. She's, she's a full-grown woman. Um, so she's older than anyone in our heroes group, with the exception of Kip, who's a half-elf, and he's over 100. But <clears throat> for everyone else, you know, she, she's, she's definitely older than they are, but still young by current standards. Um, and saying we can't be caught. But if you do stay, I'll try to talk you here, but don't bring the cleric or paladin with you, because that's who Bartimus is afraid of. And he's going to have them watched like a hawk. Like, you guys might be able to get in here and we can talk, but if you bring them with, there's definitely going to be people watching them because that's who he's worried about. I can't talk to you when they're around. Which would also make sense if that's the biggest threat. They're saying, you know, you don't bring that target next to me, you're only going to get me caught in trouble as well. And she's clearly very, very afraid of Bartimus. Barely had the passage closed when Petal and Kip heard the door to the library open. Footsteps came toward them until advisor Bartimus was there, a great smile on his face. So he, he comes in, he comes walking over, and he comes around the corner. Uh, and even though he's older, he seems to be in relatively good health. He has a staff, as most mages do, but he doesn't lean on it to walk or anything. He appears to be in, in fine health that way. If anything, a little thin. Um, 
Bartimus, of course, welcomes them. Welcome to my library. So glad you decided to come in and take a look at it. Now, now they're up close to the to the guy. They can see that he is, in fact, like I said, a bit on the thin side. His face is, seems just a, a little bit gaunt, if you will. Um, which, again, not completely out of the realm of what you'd expect from a wizard who spends most of their time reading and sheltered away with magic, eating only when they need to kind of thing. A lot of it was like, I only eat to stay alive. Magic's all I crave. Uh, so they're known to have that. Oh, there's exceptions to that rule. You, you can find some mages who just live for the luxuries and use their magic to acquire gold and uh, you know, food, and so you find the very portly ones for sure. But the more common thing you'll see is someone who's just purely dedicated to the magic, and uh, wizards tend to be more on the thinner side uh, since they're not really physically combative, if you will. There are, again, exceptions to those rules, especially you start walking into the realm of battle mages like we have in Serenity. Mages specifically trained to work with and beside warriors in battle. Um, they were probably, they, they're just as likely to pick up a weapon and fight you with melee as they are magic. They were not going to be as good as a, as a full trained warrior, but they're definitely going to be better in combat than the average uh, mage because of that. Just touching on that, because I haven't mentioned battle mages in a while, but of course we're going to see them again one day. So, of course, Bartimus uh, walks them around a little bit and shows them different sections of the library. Here's this, and these scrolls are that. And, you know, it's the common books you'd expect to find. A lot of them are history of the realm. You know, telling of Caradon's past, uh, poetry and stuff, bards have put together, so on and so forth. A lot of it's going to be history-based. And then you're going to find sections of books that are knowledge-based, encyclopedia-like, of animals that you could be found in the realm, or, you know, things of that nature. Uh, maybe even farming equipment. All that type of stuff that you would, you know, you know, people might need to have access to in the future, so they want to make sure it's written down and not lost. Once they've had a tour of the library and had a chance to look around at all, um, Bartimus is up, asked, well, what do you think of my library? You can tell he's very proud of it. And she compliments him and said, well, it's, 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 it's very nice. It, again, it's larger than I would have expected from uh, a, king, a keep of this size. And I have to say, it's immaculately clean, and the books are very well tended to, even though I, I don't see any keepers in here, or librarians or anything. And Barnabas kind of laughs, goes, oh, you can tell again with genuine pride, thank you. It's, when I first came to this kingdom, oh, let me tell you, it was horrible. The state of the library was, was just horrendous. Uh, scrolls crumbling to dust, pages falling out of books. Uh, rarely did anyone even enter into here. I was appalled at the condition of it. Um, and so, you know, I, I spoke with the king. It was the, the first real thing I, I fought for in this kingdom is, hey, we really need to... We really need to work on the library. I convinced him how important it was to restore and preserve the history of the kingdom as well as the knowledge that was contained in here. Uh, finally, the king agreed, and once I convinced him the importance of it, and word was sent out, and, and every scribe and scholar in the land was summoned and paid well to come and start copying the books, rewriting them out, making newer copies. Uh, we still have, you know, we have many of the older tomes was of value locked away somewhere, but uh, most everything you see here is a copy that was made within the last 10 to 15 years, uh, to the point that everything is done and now we're just adding to it. There are a couple of uh, young librarians that work here that tend to the cleaning and organization, but most of it I keep track of myself. Sadly, there are very few people that actually come in here wishing to read and, uh, you know, which, you know, work on that as well, trying to expand the horizons. But overall, you know, not, not as many visitors as one would like.
Uh, he definitely is quite clear and speaks that the library is his favorite place in the entire castle, and he likes to spend as much time here as possible. Uh, also, writing his own journals and adding them to the collection so that one day, you know, those who come after will hopefully be able to read of, of this time period. He's documenting the history of this time period kind of thing. While Bartimus is going on about that, mentions, you know, he mentioned, oh, when I came to this kingdom. And they'd heard rumors that he came to this kingdom uh, shortly before the merge. And uh, has been here kind of ever since. Which at this point, you know, is close to 20 plus years ago. Uh, Princess Soraya was born pre-merge. Um, but all of the rest of these folks, except for Kip of the 100-year-old half-elf, all of them were born on merged worlds. But Kip asks, you say, you're not from Caradon. Where exactly, where are you from? And Bartimus say, no, no, I'm not from here originally. I'm actually from a, a land that was quite distance away, but still on the same world, obviously. It was before the worlds were shattered and reformed as they are now. Um, I had traveled quite extensively before coming upon Caradon, and uh, the, the, just the kingdom and its people kind of took a, took a shine to them, if you will. And uh, very saw that there, they, there was a need. There was no, very few mages here, and, and definitely none of my experience. Um, I met with the king, who turned out was a very good man, and uh, decided to. Uh, he asked me to stay on as, as official, you know, head mage of the kingdom, and, which I have, and I've been quite happy to be here ever since. Uh, even with all the troubles of the merge and everything that happened after that, it was. Uh, it is. It, it is. It's been a good life, if you will. Um, so they're like, oh, there were a few other mages? He goes, yes, none that are here currently. You know, some of them live out in the, the cities and villages of the kingdom, you know, helping people where they are. But I'm the only one here at the keep currently, although uh, there are several that were my apprentices that will come back from time to time, and I can send word to if assistance is needed. And Kip, uh, Kip's like, okay, Kip's just keeping up a conversation, just, Kip's very smooth about it, but Kip's obviously trying to get some information, uh, but he's, you know, being a bard, he's, you know, smooth of tongue, um, and slides up, oh, okay, well, greatly traveled, well, what made you, uh, decide to do that, what made you leave your homeland? And, uh, for just a moment, uh, Bartimus's face just gets a, a little kind of serious, he goes, well, it wasn't quite safe in my homeland any longer, and it was best the time that I move on and you know, experience new things in the world. And it kind of breezes over the question without a whole lot of detail. But Kip and Pedal both take a moment of that. Not safe. Okay, cool. So, it's at this point that, of course, you know, he starts asking some questions about them. Only a fair turnaround. And where are they from? Serenity. Never heard of Serenity. Not heard of this land. What's it like? And he explains, and they talk about, well, there's this here, Queen uh, Mercy, uh, is Queen of the Kingdom. Her daughter is Petal, who's the, her, her daughter is uh, Artis, who's the cleric of truth we have with us here. And my mother's there as well. And Rand's, uh, Rand's father in the group is, is kind of give the relation to everybody. There's a great temple there uh, dedicated to uh, the gods of light specifically, but primarily the goddess of healing. Uh, Elvis and talks about artists and all their work, and then also mentions how there's a tower there of the Brotherhood of Magic. Well, now this obviously catches his attention. He's like, now the Brotherhood of Magic I have heard of, but again, only only in distant whispers. Uh, we again don't have many mages that travel through this land. We don't have much to offer the outside world. You know, we have crops and food and things to to take care of ourselves, but we don't have any you know major export, if you would. 
Now, there's no diamond mines. They don't have iron mines. They don't have some great forces to provide wood. They have everything they need to survive, but they, they really don't have anything that another country would want to come in and take other than maybe just land. It is fertile land and overall uh, uh, very well defendable, but there's not a lot of product, if you will, for someone to want to come in and, and take all of those. So as such, not a lot of people tour through this area, right? Uh, which at the same time conflicts a little bit with some of the information that they'd gotten in some of the earlier cities they stopped in, where the word was that the town was really, or the, the kingdom of Caradon was really not interested in trade, and they, they definitely kind of pushed away ambassadors, never harshly, and there was never any violence, but like, we're just not interested. We want to stay kind of secluded. We want to stay to ourselves. Um, and so they'd kind of gotten a bit of a, uh, a reputation in the surrounding kingdoms of just a place that you don't go to just because you don't feel welcome, right? It's, they, they don't really want to deal with the outside world. And as such, the outside world more or less leaves them to their own devices. But the Brotherhood of Magic is, is what the tower in Serenity as well as the tower in Paxawal is the primary one. There's also one in Arduel. They've been trying to get one in the Kingdom of Firemoon for decades, but Rafe is just not having that. Remember Ray Firemoon, his brother, was an evil mage named Nihilat, and that's what caused a lot of problems. And so uh, he's, he's, he's hesitant to magic, even though he sent his son Deacon to train in the Brotherhood of Magic to be able to control the powers he was born with. Um, doesn't really want a mage tower in his kingdom. He's hesitant. Um, Brotherhood of Magic has a tower that has just recently gone up in Th uh, Thorman, which is the kingdom west of Paxawal. Uh, you may remember that's where uh, the princess... They went and there was an assassination attempt on the princess, and then the father ended up dying. The princess is now the queen. That's where the war, where the undead were very early on. We met Ulrich um, and all that kind of stuff. But there's a, there's a tower there now. Um, there is not one at all in the Elven Kingdom nor the Dwarven Kingdom. Uh, the Dwarves have their own mages, but they're, they're very niche mages. There's not a lot of... You know, they've got they've got one clan that's mostly mages, and each clan will usually have a couple in there. Uh, but they usually travel out. There's not a lot, again, in there that would pull the Brotherhood of Magic to want to have a large presence there. <clears throat> so uh, when Bartimus is asking questions about this, Petal is picking up on the fact that he's trying to, would they be interested in coming here? And not from a, I'm interested in that, but a, mm, I'd really not like them to show up. It's great that you're a member of them, but we're fine here, you know? And he gets, goes out and says, well, again, we've, we don't have a lot of mages come through because there's not really much that would interest folks here. You know, there's, while it's an older country, there's no real artifacts or holy places or, or you know, ancient things that people would want to come and <clears throat> there's no old things. The Caradon was settled. It's a relatively new land. Uh, people that were escaping from the north came down here uh, several generations earlier. But it's not really an ancient kingdom. So there's not a lot here that that mages would be interested in. And he really seems to kind of be selling that to, to Petal. Like, yeah, there's really not a lot. I mean, I'm glad you're here. And it's nice meeting a mage and getting to talk to someone. But yeah, I, definitely, this is not a place that the Brotherhood would ever want to have a presence. There's just nothing here that would benefit them. But he doesn't say he's for or against joining himself. He just does mention he's not currently affiliated with any type of recognized group of mages. He's, he works for the king, and that's his affiliation. Um, so they you know they chat about that for a little while, and, and you know he's he's he they're both getting information where they can, and 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 both of them, uh, Petal and Kip, 
can tell there's some of their questions that Bartlemus is, is dancing around giving a direct answer. He's vague in some of his answers, and then quickly bringing the subject to something else. Um, while at the same time conscious of the fact that they're having to do the same thing, right? What brings you here? Well, we can't say out a magical artifact that said there's something evil here and we came to stop it. I mean, I can't give that message. I'm like, oh, well, you know, traveling through, artists and uh, Maeve are on, you know, their pilgrimages to, you know, spread words of the gods and such. And we've been friends since childhood and it's an opportunity for me to explore the world. And then we met Kip on the way. He's a great guy. He's joined up and so all that kind of thing. You know, it's uh, they're having to dance around it as well. So it's a very delicate conversation where they're trying to get more information than they're really willing to give out. And they could tell he's in the same one, but they're all very polite and very friendly, but they're all aware that the other one is doing this. Like, there's no, you know what I mean? It's, it's all a subtle dance at this point. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, a brief pause away for those of you who are watching the, the video here. You may have known, many of you noticed that I have this really cool 20-sided, it's a large 20-sided lamp that I got a couple years ago. Uh, official D&D lamp that uh, change, I can pick a color, have it change LED to different colors. They've just released a 12-sided one. The 20-sided plugs in. The 12-sided one that I have right here behind me now, also LED. This one's battery operated though. I just got the batteries in it 10 minutes before the stream. Um, but I'm hoping they release some of the other ones as well. I'd love to get a 4. 6 I'd be shocked if we saw because that's pretty standard. You can get D6 regular six-sided lamps already just from everything else gambling. But an 8 and a 10 would be nice too, you know? Uh, so anyways, I thought I'd point that out since I got them going. I got two different D20 lamps glowing lights behind me, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, anyways, off and aside, I just happened to notice it in the playback. But yeah, I really like the 12. It's it, it, it's really, really nice. Works well. So they, they're in there probably chatting for a good 45 minutes to an hour um, before the, the door opens again and, and Brendan steps back through. Again, Brendan being the kind of the guy who works around there. Um, and while they're walking around the kingdom, I, I want to point out, there are guards standing in attention and such. So it's not like there's nobody else here, right? There, there are other people in the king, in here. They don't see a lot in the way of people just shuffling around, like servants and stuff. They may see one or two. Uh, there's definitely a presence of guards and stuff here. It's not just the king, the queen, Bartimus, and this one dude, Brendan. By any means, there are people here. When they first came in the courtyard, there were people doing courtyard stuff. You know, Even though, again, it may seem like it's, again, a small keep without a ton of people. There are still some people, okay? But Brendan comes in and says, Ah, Advisor Bottomus, I, I apologize for interrupting your conversation. I hate to pull your new friends away, but uh, their friends have, uh, are, are sitting, sitting down about to have a meal, and uh, I wanted to give them the opportunity to eat after traveling. And Bottomus is like, Oh, of course, yes, I should have thought more of that. I was enjoying talking to you so much, I just wasn't paying attention to time. You've traveled by foot quite a distance. I'm sure you're hungry and tired. Brendan will take you to your friends where you can enjoy a nice meal. And I'm sure Brendan has arranged for rooms for you. And Brendan nods. He goes, excellent. Rooms for you to spend the night. I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk more. Uh, I'm so happy that you enjoy the library. I'm sure we'll have many opportunities to look at it again and such. And didn't talk here. Um, Pedal and Kip are, oh, awesome. That's nice. Thank you. And appreciate that. Look forward to talking to you more. Because it was a pleasant conversation. There was nothing threatening in it at all, but definitely there was subterfuge on both sides. So Brennan leads them through the, the halls of the keep. By this point, it's, it's, it's the, the sun has gone down. It's dark outside. There weren't really any windows in the library. It's, it's centrally internal to the keep. 
Um, so it's mostly uh, torches and candles and such to keep the place lit, which in my mind seems very dangerous for a library. You know, being so flammable and all, but what you going to do, right? <laughs> so they uh, finally get led uh, over to where their friends are. Um, so they arrive uh, just five or ten minutes later, walking over there. Uh, there's a, a private dining hall. Right? So you can tell it's set aside to be a meeting hall or private dining hall. It's a, a good-sized room with a long table in the center that could probably seat 12 to 14 people if they all squeezed in there. Um, and the table has plenty of different foods on it. Lots of fruits and vegetables and meats and cheeses and several bottles of wine are already there. Uh, it's a good spread. Some pheasant, I'm sure. Everybody always eats pheasant at these type of situations. you think there'd be a real pheasant shortage in most D&D worlds, because everybody eats pheasant all the time. You should eat more chicken. But um, they sit down, they go in, and Brendan is like, ah, yes, excellent, I will, I will leave you to eat. I'll have someone standing outside. If you need anything at all, please don't hesitate uh, to just open the door and ask them for it, and then uh, I'll give you some time to eat, and I'll come back a little bit later and show you to your rooms. And, uh, everyone's like, thank you, Brendan. That's awfully nice of you. And Brendan leaves. Um, so... They come in, and, and, and instead of just sitting at the table and starting to eat, they kind of come around the table to Artis and uh, Ran and Maeve, who are seated there, and they kind of huddle up a little bit, and they're like, hey, we need to talk. So everybody kind of gets up and looks around, and they've already taken a bit of a time, Artis and Ran and Maeve have, while they were in the room alone, checking the room out, maybe even magically a little bit. They don't find anything of uh, that would jump out as nefarious in any way, uh, they didn't find anything that appeared to be a peephole. Ran wasn't able to find any type of secret passageways. He's a little bit better at that than Ran and Mavar, but not as good as Peddler Kip would be. Um, and the room does have a window on one side, so they know that they're on an outer wall of, of the keep, if that makes sense, because there's a window. Obviously, there's not a room between that wall and such. So they, they kind of all get up and move over against that wall, and they look out the window, and there's nobody hanging outside the window where it looks like they're listening in. So it's an opportunity for them to get away from the door. They can kind of huddle up and, and chat a little bit. Um, and artists and Maeve kind of give out a, a layout of what they learned. There is a small temple on the side of the keep uh, that they're going to go check out the next day. Uh, there's several you know, meeting rooms and so on and so forth. They didn't see any more of the king. Um, and again, they also come, excuse me, comment on, hey, there's lots of you know soldiers and guards out there, but we didn't see a whole lot of other people walking around, maybe one or two you know, it looks like maids or something booking it down the hall, but no one really up close that they had a chance to talk to. Um, and so they kind of give it the layout of the castle as they learned it on their tour. Um, now, on for their part, Petal and Kip, very quietly and cautiously, prepared for anything, tell what they're, talk about their uh, meeting with the princess and what the princess said. And of course, everybody's taken aback by this. Wow, someone literally stepped out and said, hey, you're in danger. If you'll remember, I know it's been a while since we had an episode with these guys, uh, they had stopped at an inn in the last city and there was a note underneath one of their bowls or cups that said, you know, leave immediately or, or return, that kind of thing, warning them away. Uh, they didn't know who left that, um, but it was there and they decided to carry on anyways, knowing that there was something here they had to find, some type of evil they needed to address. Or problem, I should say. It may not be evil. So now that they're getting a straight-up warning, not just from anybody, but straight-up the princess who's warning them of Bartlemus. 
right? Warning, hey, Bartlemus, if he catches me, I'm going to be punished. I, you know, and you think about that. I'm the princess. He's an advisor. That's not how that hierarchy is supposed to work. If anything, Bartlemus would tell the king, and then the king would punish. But that's not what she said. She said, Bartlemus will have me punished. He did not say what kind of punishment. What that would be. Didn't have a lot of opportunity to. And then they talk about their conversation with Bartlemus, what they learned from him. And, you know, they talked about, hey, he was asking us questions too. We did a good job of being very general with it, but he was also being very kind of shady and general with his answers. Uh, this is what we learned of the kingdom, and we've learned about him, and so on and so on. Um, so they kind of cover all of that conversation. It's at the end of kind of telling that story that Kip says something that even catches pedal by supplies. And he says, Kip also says, yeah, and the other problem is I really don't like the way he was looking at Petal. And even Petal's a little shocked. And what are you talking about? And Elvira's like, what do you mean? And Kip says, you know, you were talking about magic and you were being very careful what you say. You weren't quite paying attention to him like I was. And let's just say the man was looking you up and down one too many times. Uh, and I could tell he was a little bit more interested in just your magic, if you know what I'm talking about. Petal gets a little red with embarrassment because she didn't catch any of that at all. But Petal's a bit oblivious to that kind of stuff. I mean, we've, we've seen that history before. She doesn't really... That's not where her mind goes most times. She's not noticing that. She's trying to get information and that kind of thing. She's not noticing that type of thing. Uh, but hearing that he was basically leering at her and she didn't notice it does embarrass her a little bit. Now, artists and Maeve look at each other with a whole lot of unhappiness in their face at the hearing this. Like, what? This is not cool kind of a thing. At all. Um, so they look at each other very with very disapproving looks at the hearing that. Because that adds a whole other issue to the combination, right? Here's this old guy leering after young little pedal. Um, Ran, of course, puts his hand on Kip's shoulder and says, Well, I'm glad you were there, my friend. I'm glad you did decide to go in with her after all, because, you know, had he been left alone, who knows what could happen, right? The man's a wizard, and from what they could tell, at least of some power, Princess is implying quite a bit of power. So, you know, Petal's still pretty low on the level scale if we're looking at magical power at this point. She's not really rocking a lot of magic items and artifacts. she got a couple little things passed to her from her parents, you know, but she doesn't have a, you know, any real powerful stuff, world-blowing-up kind of spells. So, uh, against someone who's really experienced, she might not last too long. Ren also suggests that moving forward, none of them should be alone. Now that there's a clear threat that they know of from the princess, and definitely with the way Bartimus was acting around Petal, hey, maybe we should make sure, especially Petal, but all of us, no one should be left alone. Because the last thing we want is them to start picking us off one by one. And artists and Maver agree 100%. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, we're, there's no way we're letting Petal go alone anywhere anymore, you know? And it's not even like Petal needs a guy with her. Petal with Maeve is better protected than she is with Ran or with uh, Kip. Maeve is hands down the best fighter in this group. Easily so. You know, Ran, Ran is no slouch any means, but he's not going to keep up with, with Maeve. When you add in her strength, her skills, and her abilities as a paladin, Maeve is a tank. Just a straight-up tank. Uh, and so, you know, if there's anybody that Petal needs to be escorted with, it's her. But they discuss that concern of, okay, well, if we do end up having to reach out to the princess, now that we know that we're being watched, you know, Maeve and I, Artis is saying, then it's it might be even more important that it not be us. You know what I mean? If you guys are going over, we definitely don't want to draw attention to the princess, especially if she is in danger and needs our help. 
this could be why we're here. This could be why Kip sent us here. You know what I mean? Quintius said they needed to come here. Quint, I call him. Quint uh, said this is where we, you know, we need to come here, even though we don't know exactly why. Maybe this is what it is. Maybe they need to save the princess. Or stop Bartlemus. Or both, right? Could be the same thing, really. And exactly where does the king stand in this? Is he a puppet or is he a turd too? They haven't really had any chance to talk about the king. They only had a, a, literally a few seconds to talk to the princess. So, like, we have to be on our guard there. At the same time, they did do some magical checking. The food does not seem poisoned. Everything seems fine there. So they do decide to get a, eat a good meal. Because if there are going to be problems in the future, they might as well be well-fed. You can imagine it's Maeve that had that mentality. Well, the food's good, so we should at least eat all of it. For safety. We should eat it all. And not waste. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> so they tear in the food, which is exceptionally well. It's prepared for them, and uh, it's all fresh and tasty. Zero problems with any of the food. So, they, uh, they also decide not to try to speak to Quintius, right? Because you'll remember when they were getting close, Quintius could sense some type of powerful magic or evil coming from the direction of the keep. But whatever it was, it was powerful enough that he couldn't see through it. It was actually even, he was having a hard time fighting through it with his own magical abilities. And that's not a little thing. Quintius at least has implied that he's a pretty powerful artifact. Not just a magic item, he's a sentient artifact. Technically has a human soul in it. Uh, that's been around for tens of thousands of years at this point. And that he gets his instructions directly from the goddess of light. Who he met when he was alive and put his soul in there. Like, that's, that's not a little artifact. You know, so for it to say, hey having a hard time using my abilities here because something just as strong or stronger is blocking me or keeping me from seeing what I'm seeing. And the closer they got to the keep, the harder it was to the point that Quintus is like, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm watching. I'm always sentient. I'm always watching. But I'm not going to do anything that's going to exert any powers at this point. A, to not draw attention to himself and artists by association, and B, to reserve what power he has should they need it. So he's like, I'm here if you need me, but you should try not to need me unless you really need me, if that makes sense, right? Quintius has to step in and use some of his powers, of which they know very little about at this point. He's been very dodgy on saying exactly what he can do. But you know, when, when it comes to that, he's like, but when the time comes, you're going to want me to be able to do that. So I'm going to save up the power. So they don't, they know Quintius is probably hearing what they're talking about anyways. And if it was something very pertinent, he probably would pop up and be like, hey, I heard that. You should know this. And he hasn't. So they're like, okay, let's not bother Quintius with this at this point. Let's just keep our eyes and ears open and see what we can find going on. So they enjoy their meal, finish, sit there, chat a little while. Uh, they do their best to chat about the road and common things in a regular tone of voice. So if someone is listening in at this point, nothing seems off about their conversation. Sorry, very thirsty. Lots of drinks tonight. If you're here, pause this because I'm drinking. That's for you audio folks. But a short while later, Brendan finally returns. And, uh, you know, just looking at the table and seeing how a lot of the food is gone, and especially in Maeve's section of the table, uh, he's like, ah, it appears you enjoyed your meal. I'm so happy. I hope everything was to your satisfaction. 
artist is like, yes, it was wonderful. We very much appreciate that. And he says, well, it is already late. I know you've traveled greatly. You must be exhausted. If you'll come with me, I can take you to where we have some rooms set up for you. So they gather up their stuff, because they still got all their gear with them, right? They got backpacks and gather it all. They've been sitting in a pile in the corner, and they gather up all their loot. Artis almost always has Quintius kind of in her belt, but kind of underneath of like a jacket or a cloak or something. Doesn't walk around with it just hanging out unless she needs to. Um, but she does want to have it very close to hand because she doesn't know how or why she might need it. She only knows that eventually she might. So she's nervous about being too far from more than anything else for the fear that he falls into the wrong hands. Because if he is as powerful as he says, as an artifact, uh, the last thing I want is someone nefarious to get a hold of him. A, because what would they do with it? Who knows? So, Brendan leads them through a twisting maze of corridors, as castles usually are, and finally leads them to a uh, kind of a, an end cap of the castle, if you will. So you get to the end of the, the hallway, and it, it forks. You can go straight forward, or you can turn to the right. And straight forward, there are three rooms on the left. If you turn right, there are three more rooms to the right. So this hallway's L-shaped, if you will, right? And they're coming in right at the, the joint of that L. And so the three girls are, are going to stay on one side, and then Kip and... Um, Ran are going to take two of the rooms on the other side. There's three doors there, too. So it's obvious this is set up six rooms, but there's only five of them. Is They'll leave the for one, one of the ones furthest away uh, empty, and these two guys will stay as close as they can to the three doors on the opposite L, if that makes sense. Okay? Uh, just kind of give you a layout there of what everything looks like. Um, again, Brendan excuses himself, says so he allow them to rest, and he'll be back to, uh, in the morning to, to get them so that they can, you know, get something to eat do some stuff around the castle, hopefully gets to spend some time chatting with the king and other important people. Um, now, as they were traveling through the hallways to get here, Brendan leaves, and they're all like, okay, they're divvying up what rooms are going to be which. Uh, they do make a comment that most of them had noticed the entire walk to get here, they saw no guards. There's no guards at all in any of these halls that they're in right now, and they haven't seen any after they left the private banquet room, uh, dining hall, to get here. Now, that could be because it's getting late and there's just no need to. It could be a positive thing. They're not being viewed as a threat, so they don't need to have guards outside their door. They feel this castle's pretty safe. And geographically, it is. Anybody attacking would have to do a lot to get over to where they are now. But it is something that they noticed. They didn't see any servants or guards or any other pe person besides... Uh, Brendan on the way to these rooms. Those rooms themselves traveling uh, without incident. Once they get to the rooms, the rooms are very lavish. I mean, they are fancy. They're definitely clean. They've been cleaned freshly. The rooms probably hadn't been used in a while, but while they were eating, someone's come in and, and cleaned out the rooms. It's clearly fresh blankets and such. Uh, there's, you know, some type of potpourri burning in a thing, so the room smells good. Incense, whatever they would use in that time period. Something that makes the room smell floral, we'll say. Um, and again, it's, it's very fancy. The bed is very a big four-post kind of thing. The drapedies going on in this fancy table and a couch and a sitting area. So uh, even the furniture, gold-lined metal handles kind of thing. So it's very lavish. Much more than any of them are used to, including artists, who's a princess, who really, other than having her own quarters, grew up rather plain. She never really wanted... Her, her mom never spoiled her with that kind of stuff. You don't need gold-handled dressers when that could, money could be used to 
you know, <laughs> build more defenses for against Oromon, yeah. really. But you know, they've they've none of them have ever really lived lavishly. Uh, the closest to that uh, would probably, honestly, be uh, Maeve, because Darsh's ships are very nice, they're very functional. But she's been with him on several trips. He's gone to occasionally um, when there's you know. As, as his daughter and such, we're meeting with nobles. She's seen some fancy Minotaur fancy stuff. Um, and, of course, they've all of them have been in the Temple of Serenity, which is probably the nicest building any of them have been into. But this one, the rooms themselves rival it. So basically, what I'm, what I'm trying to imply and get across is that these rooms are extremely nice rooms. Very fluffy beds. So many pillows. They have all the pillows you'd ever want, and then probably two more. There's plenty of fluff so it's it, they they're definitely no one's sparing any expense to making them feel welcome, okay. So much so that it's noticeable. They're like they're really going out to give us nice digs here, and before they all go off to their own room, they all gather and go room to room again, checking for anything. Kip's looking for anything that would seem like a secret passageway, something that would you know someone could sneak in with. They check the windows, the windows lock and such, and, and it's a straight drop down. They're like on the third or fourth floor. Kip's like, yes, I could get up in here if I really needed to, but it wouldn't be easy, and you'd probably hear somebody doing it, you know. And so they're, they're very satisfied that the rooms are as safe as they can be, and they don't find anything again that seems nefarious. They don't find any. They're looking behind pictures. There's no magical writings. They don't find anything magical in nature. And you can you can bet petals doing some detect magics to see if there's any you know spells cast in the room. Finds nothing like that at all. They seem like just straight up normal rooms. And so they all go ahead and get in those rooms. Decide which one they're going to take. Go in and decide. Okay, we're going to go ahead and settle down. Uh, they decide not to keep the doors locked. But they are going to keep them slightly bored. Put a little chair in front of it. Put your backpack in front of it. So if somebody pushes open the door, you're going to hear it. But let's not lock them so if we need to get in and help each other, if there's an issue, we can hear each other, that kind of thing. So they, uh, they go in there and they put up their stuff. They don't unpack, per se, but they take out the things they need. Toothbrushes, hairbrushes, things like that. Um... And make sure that everything's set up and relatively safe for closed door and deciding to get some rest. Which, again, laying in the bed, they are so comfortable. It's the night they haven't had a good night's sleep. Even at the inns they were in weren't anywhere as nice as this. So finally, after getting to those rooms, they have an opportunity, as they've been road war- uh, wary right, and stressed over it, finally get a chance to wind down and get some sleep. And then I have some reading. The boat rocked heavily and Maeve felt herself lose balance. She tried to right herself, but it was no use, and she tumbled out of the boat. She tried her best to grab Darsh's outstretched hand, but missed. She felt herself falling into the cold ocean's waters. The storm's winds made the waters churn, and Maeve struggled to swim to the surface. Finally, after a few moments, she could make out the shape of the boat above her. As her lungs burned, she swam hard for the surface. She saw her father's hand reaching into the water for her, and with a final kick, she pushed herself forward, reaching for it. But he did not take her hand. His arm moved past hers, and she could feel his hand grab around her throat, stopping her, holding her under the water. 
She tried to break away, to pull off his hand off from her. But Darsh was the strongest man she'd ever known. And while she could not see his face clearly, she could feel his disappointment. She wasn't good enough. He was doing what was best for everyone. She had tried, but he was very disappointed. All he could do now was try to save them from more of her failures. It would be best if she stopped fighting. It was time to let go. In the moment in the water, as her breath burning in her lungs, unable to reach the surface, the only thing that crosses her mind is, I think not. And she grew angry. Darsh would never treat her this way. This was not her father. And if it wasn't... Maeve Maeve grabbed two of Darsh's fingers, one with each hand, and pulled as hard as she could. She felt the fingers bend and snap as she pulled them from their sockets. The thing holding her screamed in pain and tried to pull away, which let Maeve's head break through the water. And she was sitting in the bed, gasping for air. She was alone in the room, but was positive someone or something else had been there. Still gasping for air, she stumbled out of the bed. Gaining her balance, she ran to the door. She quickly stepped to Artis's door next to hers and shoved it open. Again, this would have knocked the backpack or whatever was sitting there holding it. She found Artis on her knees next to her best, next to her bed, coughing and struggling to breathe. Maeve stepped towards her, but Artis waved her away. Check on the others, she gasped. Nodding, Maeve rushed from the room and ran to Petal's door. She pushed hard, it wouldn't open, so she banged on it, calling out Petal's name. She heard movement inside, and then Petal opened the door. It was clear Petal had just woken, and showed no signs of any type of issue. Difficulty breathing, choking, none of that. And even though she'd just been sleeping, she's trained, she's immediately alert. Are you all right? Maeve asked. Yes, replied Petal. Why would I not be? Maeve was relieved. Something attacked Artemis and met, and then stopped. Both woman, women looked back down the hallway from which Maeve came. They could hear the sounds of banging not far away. Maeve sprinted down the hall, Petal not far behind. She rounded the corner to see Kip banging on Rand's door. Kip's face was pale and he was covered in sweat. It was clear he'd gone through something as well. It's Rand, Kip said, gasping heavily. He's not answering. The door's locked. Move, said Maeve forcefully. The door exploded inward with such force that the metal bolts that had been driven into the stone walls to hold the hinges in place came out of the walls almost completely. It was well known that when Maeve wanted a door to open, that door was going to open. Maeve stood there in the darkened room, and she could see Ran in his bed lying on his back. Sitting on top of him was a man-sized shaped figure, its hands wrapped tightly around Rand's throat. It appeared as if made from smoke, 
and Maeve could see just barely through it. Its head turned to look at her, and its eyes glowed red. Now, Maeve doesn't have her weapons with her, but in a situation like this, of all of them, Maeve is the last one who needs one. Maeve raised her hands and quickly summoned the holy power within her. She released a spell meant to dispel evil, for this creature could only be such. The room filled with the power of the light, and lighting everything in its holy glow. The smoke creature's mouth opened as if it was screaming as the light hit it, and it broke apart, dissipating into smoke. Like a new cloud. And then it gusted and flew out, out the open window. Kip and Petal ran over to Ran, who had not yet moved through all the activity. He's not breathing, exclaimed Kip in fear. Artis had arrived and rushed over to him. The others made room for her as she kneeled next to the bed and placed her hands on Ran's chest. As she began to cast a spell of healing, Maeve stepped to, to them as well, placing her hand on Ran's forehead. She wasn't taking any chances and began to cast her own healing spell. Kip and Petal stood there helplessly. While both Artis and Maeve had some spells for healing, they were not healers. Petal could only hope that they could do enough. Both women cast their spells and Ran began to lightly glow. Side effect of the spell. There was a moment of silence and then Ran began to cough, struggling for breath. Wisps of black smoke came from his mouth and nose, again dissipating into the air. Finally, the smoke stopped and Ran was able to breathe clearly. He opened his eyes, looking at his friends around him. Kip let out a huge sigh of relief and Artis embraced him. What happened? Ran asked weakly. Why are you in my room? One moment, I'll take a sip. So the thing that Maeve saw sitting on top of Ran, like I said, it's about a man-sized, um, and it was human-shaped, although Maeve would swear later that it seemed like it had the outline shape of small wings on its back, and maybe in, in recollecting like a long, thin tail. Again, she was seeing this from a hallway, standing at the doorway, torch on the hallway, but the room pretty much dark. She kicked in the door, so she's seeing a smoke thing in darkness, right? She's got infravision, and the thing gave off, because again, she wasn't wasn't dark enough to use full infravision at this point. She had infravision. She could see that there was warmth from it, and it had glowing red eyes from where its eyes should be, right? And she said it looked like smoke. Um, but again, that was just the best way to describe it. She couldn't say it was smoke. And when she entered the room, she smelled nothing like smoke. You know what I mean? They, there was no like fire burning. and It wasn't the incense thing. And I want to clear that up. It wasn't made of incense smoke. The incense, when I said the incense, that was not meant to be a connector. And in this moment, I realized it might have implied that it was the incense smoke. This is not the smoke from the incense. <laughs> it's not what that was. Clearing that up before I make a mistake there. Um, but, you know... She doesn't smell anything of smoke. You don't smell of sulfur. Nothing she'd expect to smell from after a spell. Was it a spell? Was it an actual creature? She doesn't know. Because as soon as the light from 
dispel evil hit it, it literally broke apart into a cloud of smoky mist and out. But the light was growing. It's as the light was touching it, it, it left. It went out the window. So it didn't get fully engulfed in the light. The light grows from Maeve because a paladin's abilities are different than spellcasting uh, in most regards. So a little bit of D&D touch on the side here. Uh, most paladins have the ability to lay on hands. It's a spell. Usually they can do it once a day. Again, this is based on 2nd edition Dungeons & Dragons, which is what I play. They have lay on hands once a day, place a hand, basically heal someone for up to 2 hit points per level of the paladin. Right? 6 levels, I can heal you for 12. I can't make you go higher than the amount of hit points your maximum is, so if you only have 10 hit points, you'll go up to 10. But I don't have to roll for that. I do this many. I can do it one times a day. I have to touch you. That's Maeve's ability. Her several of the abilities... She doesn't really sit and cast spells. Her spell-like abilities are natural abilities. Right? So when she's using Dispel Evil, that's coming from inside her. That's her connection to her god and the light. And even though she represents the god of truth, the god of truth is a straight-up right-hand servant of Manara, goddess of light. He is the truth of the light. They are very connected. And even though Manara, if you want to go into the technical terms, is wed or in a relationship with Tavian, god of healing, now they have a, they have kids, Zorn is still her right hand. Zorn is who she would send in if there were problems. You know, because he's not the god of war. God of war is neutral, because war is not good or evil. It is neutral. But as truth, it is purely, I am the truth of the light. This is what I do. And so, um, it's that same essence of the light. That's the kind of magic he gives. So as a paladin, he's pushing that holy light out that dispels evil up to a certain range. So, and that range can change as she levels up as well, but it's dispel. Whereas casting the spell, dispel evil, is works slightly differently. Okay? So for her, it's mostly instantaneous. I don't have to say spell words, components if I want to. I don't have to be able to blah, 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 to cast the spell. She can just do it. But it still can take concentration, and it still can take time. It's not always instantaneous. So I wanted to kind of point out the difference. So she's got that heal. That's her only heal. That Lay on Hands is the only heal that Maeve has. Maeve is not a spell caster per se. She does have sp several abilities that are spell-like in function. So when I say she cast this spell, I want to clarify that. She's using an ability. But she does not have to study spells, or she doesn't have to pray for spells. She's a paladin. She prays more than even the clerics do. She's, she's all day praying. All the time. That's just how paladins rock. And so she's like that. right? So... Her, her, her constant connection with her god is what gives her these abilities that do recharge daily, like spells, but don't require the somatic or verbal or the... Uh, there's no materials they need very often to cast those spells. Wordless casting, right, because it's not exactly summoning a spell. Her things are coming from inside of her, if you will. She is filled with the light of her god. That said, the spells that Artis has as a cleric of Zorn, the same god, are always going to be way more powerful in the long run. She's going to get bigger spells and more spells and so on. Even though she's a very melee fighting type of cleric, she is she's not just a stand in the back and cast spells. She's got some padded armor on and she's up there bonking skulls like, like Maeve is. Um, she will, in the long run, be much more powerful spell casting wise than Maeve ever will. 
Maeve just has a couple really good abilities that, especially earlier on, many people think is game breaking. <laughs> some of those, some of those abilities in the early levels are uh, important and will save you in a clinch, um, but aren't as important as they get as they get older. And she has some other abilities we haven't talked about. They'll come into play here in a little while. But I wanted to touch on that. You know, some of the D and D side of the story, if you will. So after this, the group had all moved into Artis's room. They'd gotten all of their stuff out of all the rooms. Nobody was alone. They went in pairs. They helped Rand because he was still a little weak from what was going on. He was having a bit of a hard time breathing. Was he dead? It's hard to tell. But they managed to get... He wasn't dead because they don't have any spells that'll bring you back from the dead. That's a very powerful spell that at this point, I believe Artemis can cast. But... These guys don't have that. If he'd been dead, there's nothing they could have done. You can't heal death. doesn't work that way. Um, so he was still alive. He just wasn't breathing. So the group had moved in there and everyone had brought in all their stuff. Uh, once Rand had gotten enough strength back, he could get back out. He's back in the room. And now he's feeling like himself. just still having a bit of a hard time breathing. feels like there's a weight on his chest, if you will. Almost like if you've ever had a bad lung infection. You're sick and you're just breathing is hard and heavy because of that. They discussed what had happened and what was going on. The other reason they came into this room is Rand's door is not going to close right. Probably ever. That, that thing's going to have to be taken down and completely rehung. That door got messed up. <laughs> and they talked a little bit of what, what, what happened there. And they learned that each of them went through kind of the similar thing. Each one of them had dreamed of someone they knew or someone they loved. And in the dream, that person was doing something to kill them. Uh, in some way strangling them. So it felt like the difficulty to breathe was part of the dream. And each one of them was being, you know, beaten with this feelings of dread and of usefulness. And these that the same emotions were being fed to them. Of, well, don't even fight this. Just let it go. You know, you're, you're not worth the thing. This is better for everybody. Um, artists dreamed it was her mother. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Kip meant and dreamt it was his mother, he says, kind of thing. Um... But they learned that Petal had no dream. Nothing happened to Petal. She was sleeping like a baby until she was woken up by Maeve smacking on her door really hard. She hadn't tried to lock her out. The thing she'd set behind the door just fell lodged in place. With a big enough heave, Maeve probably could have broken that door any very easily as well. Maybe some of her, her Hoopax staff thing. But overall, um, she was like, no, I'm fine. Nothing like that happened to me. Ran also confirms that he had a dream along those same lines. Although he's not he's not forthcoming with what the dream is. He doesn't talk to them like they did. In fact, it's very they very easily see that he is he's dealing with something. Okay? I want to say that he so he doesn't say who he dreamed about. But you could tell that it definitely shook him. Okay, and uh, let me find that spot again. I lost my spot. Okay, here we go. So, um, while that's going on, you know, artists definitely would like to know, and in the back of her mind, the more we know about these things, the the better off we may be to kind of determine what happened. But she can see that whatever it is is really bothering Rand, and so she doesn't push him. She's like, Rand's he's a quiet guy by nature. 
He'll probably tell me, maybe when we're alone or whatever it is, or when he's ready. Maybe he doesn't feel comfortable talking about it in front of everybody. And you know, Artemis has that little bit of a feeling in, of, of nervousness in her heart, you know, in her chest. Um, let me find the right line here. Here we go. Um, because out of kind of the corner of her eyes, she just keep, you know, she's talking to everybody. She can see that he's just burning. He's not just staring at her, and he's just got this very sad, nervous, almost ashamed look on his face. And he's just constantly staring at her, and when he looks at him, he turns away. So in her mind, she's like, who do you dream of? You know what I mean? Is it me? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, that's a concern, you know, because... Rand's a good friend. She knows he's devoted to her, but can, you know, is, is, is that why he's concerned? Because he had to fight back against, you know, she doesn't want to bring that up. If he feels right, he'll when he feels ready, I'm sure he'll bring it to me. We have that kind of open relationship. We're friends, even on the princess, he's him. That's not how she's ever seen him, even though he keeps putting himself in that light. She sees him as a friend and as an equal and, and knows I'm going to give him space. I'm not going to push this. But definitely she's a little concerned. Because uh, it's not like him to keep something, especially from her or them. Rand does get a little bit of a push where Kip elbows him in the arm at one point, and Rand's, and Kip's like, "All right, boy, don't ever scare me like that again." Now, and and, and Rand assures them, "I did not lock the door. I did, the door was not locked. In fact, I didn't put much in front of it because Rand sometimes." cocky to his own trouble. Like, I wasn't worried. Somebody come through the door, I'm going to hear them. Which is probably true. He or Kip would hear someone coming through the door. Uh, their, their hearing is just better than the other three. Uh, maybe pedal. But it's like, I wasn't that concerned, but I don't know how the door got locked. He's like, don't ever scare me like that again, boyo. Next time I have to stand, do I have to start standing guard at the end of the bed and watch over you when you sleep like a little kid kind of thing? And he laughs and everybody gets a little bit of a chuckle. And, and Rand laughs as well, but but Artists can tell that it, the laughter is definitely forced. It's fate. He's 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 definitely troubled by something. Now it's Petal though that draws everyone's attention to something that nobody else had really noticed at that point, and that's that no one's come to check on them. No one is here. No one came to see what was happening, and they had made some noise, especially Maeve. Busting in a door is not quiet, and yet no guards. No servants. No one has come down the hall to check on them or see what the disturbance was from. In fact, the quiet or the, the castle felt and sounded deathly quiet. Looking out the window, Maeve, who's just kind of been pacing around a little bit, Maeve's not one to just sit quietly. Maeve looking out the window can see that there's still in the middle of the night. It's after midnight, but it's late at night. You can see that there are rooms in the castle where there's lights in there. She can't see in the rooms, but there's lights in some of these rooms. So there's somebody somewhere. Somebody had to light them up, right? And looking down, they can see lights on the walls, like guards, guard stations and such. But with the amount of light they have, the rooms lit up at this point. Can't use really infravision. But she's looking down there. She doesn't really see any movement. Nobody's walking around. She doesn't hear any animals. It's just very, very quiet. More so than she would expect even from a kingdom in the middle of the night. You know, these places aren't notoriously quiet. Hi, Buffy. I got a kitty that just popped by. <laughs> I got you squirt. 
They decide at this point that they're all going to bed down in the one room. They're going to use Artis's room. Um, Hi, Bob. They're going to bed down in Artis's room so they can stay together safely, right? For the rest of the night, and then they'll determine what's going to happen at that point. But they, at this point, they don't feel comfortable out walking the halls looking around, right? Because what else is out there? At this point, they need to defend themselves till morning. So they decide to all crash in that one room. They're going to have a, a watch just like they would if they were out camping somewhere. And Artis surprises Rand by um, insisting that he take the bed. Right? Because there's one bed in there. Hi, Buffy. I see you, baby. You've got your treats over Sorry, my kitty's over here looking for pets. <laughs> I, uh, he's like, hey, I want you... What you went through, you're still weak. We can still see you're having a little bit of trouble breathing. You're not completely cleared up from this. I want you to take the bed. And Rand's like, no, of course not. I am not going to sleep in the bed while the princess sleeps on the floor. This is not how that works. I don't care if my arm is falling off. I'm not taking the bed. Artis is like, Rand... I'm insisting this is for health reasons. Tomorrow we get up, things are going on. We need you in the best condition you can be in case there's trouble. That means you need to get as much rest as possible. So we're not going to have you tech. We're already partway through the night. So we don't need you to watch guard. You're going to stay in this bed and rest. But Ran is still insistent, like, it's just not how this is going to work until Maeve steps in. It's like, Ran, you're going to get in the bed or I'm going to put you in the bed and I'm going to tuck you in and you're not going to move till morning. So you get to make a decision. You're going to get in the bed or you're going to be put in the bed? And Rand's like, I will sleep in the bed. <laughs> and he's like, yes, you will. Thank you. <laughs> and goes over and begins closing the, you know, the shutters to the window. She's going to s- close. Because something, you know, with the g- smoke going out the window, they're being extra careful there as well. She was looking outside, remember I talked about? So they close the window and starts, literally, they take some rope they've gotten, wrapping around shutter handles and such. They close the door, <clears throat> stick something under the back that's definitely going to be help blocking it in, but they are going to 100% s- someone's going to stay up. In fact, um, it's going to be Kip that takes the first watch. He volunteers. So everybody kind of get, gets their bedrolls out and lays them on the floor. They brought some of the pillows and blankets from the other room. Why not? They're still fluffy comfy. And they brought in what they could. But they're all now in, in this one room, which is still big enough that they can all lay down comfortably and there's room to move around. They're good-sized rooms. I, I need to stress that. They're not little tiny hotel rooms. They're good-sized rooms. These would definitely be meant for, if anything, a princess or a visiting noble, someone of rank, right? So they all decide to go ahead and get bed down. Ran unhappily gets into the bed and lays down. And they all kind of start putting out the lights. They decide to go ahead and put all the lights out and keep no light. Because in this situation, especially with Kip, I mean, you got Kip, Ran, Petal. If they all take a watch, all three of them have infravision at this point. Artis is going to rest through the night because she used some of her spells and she wants to make sure she's well versed for the morning as well. Um, Maeve can prey on her watch. Uh, so they all kind of lay down with Kip deciding that Kip going to be taking the first rest. And even though the you know the light it's dark in there, the, there's still a small candle Kip's got in the corner while he's making sure, giving everybody a chance to get in there. Artis lays down, and as she does, she kind of lays down and she rests. And she looks over and she sees Rand is just sitting there with his eyes open, and with the way the before the candle goes out, she could swear she could see the light reflecting off tears in his eyes. And then Kip blows up the candle, and the room goes dark. Again, artists and Ran are human. They have no information. So, 
one last little thing. I know this 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 episode is not going to be quite as long. Uh, it's because the next one's probably going to be longer. Um, but I want to talk about one thing that's happening at this point. We're going to head very far to the west, back to the Kingdom of Serenity, where the castle and the keep is in full-blown preparation mode. If you'll remember, they found out there was a new Emperor of Oromon at the end of the last episode, back when the end of uh, uh, Seraph's story there. And they've immediately gone into prep mode. And not only that, all the signs that they're seeing is that it's just becoming fall at this point. That it looks like to be a very harsh winter. Um, and so uh, there, it, was a, it was a rough year for crops and such. So they're doing everything they can to stock up prepared for that. Um, all the mages and weather mages and everything are like, listen, we can help a little bit. But it's looking to be a very, very harsh winter. All the signs are pointing towards that. There was already a very early snow that messed up some crops that were still in the fields and hadn't been done yet because it was unnaturally early for the snow to come. That can happen. A real early frost or snow can really mess up uh, crops and stuff that are historically um, gathered later in the fall. And so they're having to deal with that and gather up what food they can. Definitely, uh, Mercy is already sending out word to some of their allies looking to buy additional goods. Because remember, they have a winter. It doesn't mean it's not summer in the Kingdom of Fire Moon. Everybody's still got their own environmental weather thing going on there. But they're like, hey, if you've got goods, we're looking to buy extra. We're looking, it could be a tight winter. I'd like to stock up just in case. So they're already reaching out to their allies to make sure. But with a hard, harsh winter coming, uh, they definitely want to be prepared. There has been no news out of Oramon. And it's and this is a situation where no news is bad news. Uh, they've not not hearing anything of the changes other than that the Emperor is 100% in control at this point. The last battle of, of rebels uh, of either the rebels have either lost or have had to go into hiding because at this point um, everything that they have, all of their recon and information shows that Oromon is now once again at peace, it's no longer a civil war and under complete control of the new Emperor, which they don't have his name yet. Yeah. Something to think about. So Mercy's got a lot going on over there at this point. She's prepping for that. Potential war. Getting everybody you know, looking for extra troops. And may need to use the extra troops to help. Bad winter. Delivering food. Making sure people are okay. There's a lot of uh, natural type things going on over in Serenity. Even though I'm not going into a lot of specifics about who's doing what or telling a specific story. I'm keeping you apprised of what's happening there, because we are still, every so often I'm popping back over there. We learned about the who the Rose was. We had Tevin's thing going on. One hit Tevin. Uh, yeah, we're popping back in there. Stuff is still happening in Serenity. Our main characters, original characters, still have lives to lead. Just because we're in the kids does not mean we're not going to see them not dealing with stuff. Um, there will definitely come times when I switch over and tell the adult story and we put the kids on the back burner for a while this is an ever-changing world. But Serenity is still in movement, and that's the two big things that they're doing right now. They're prepping for potential uh, threats from Oromon, and at the same time, preparing for what looks to be a very harsh, long winter. Okay? 
I wanted to set that up. So that's it. That's everything I have for today's episode. Today's episode is a, a, a little bit shorter. And again, I've told you guys, I'm trying to make them a little bit closer to one and a half hours uh, moving forward. Just because putting these again on the audio format up on podcasts, uh, where I was doing two and three hours, a lot of people are like, that's just too long, man, to throw up for a podcast. So I am trying to make them a little bit more shorter, a little bit more uh, easily digestible uh, for people to be able to catch up between episodes. So um, that's where we're going to stop right now with the kids, uh, artists' group crashing out, sleeping. Uh, Sarah's group is out there doing something. We don't know. We'll find out about them later. Right now we're worrying about artists' group and then Serenity prepping for the near future. I would like to thank you all for coming back in, and I'd like to very much apologize for how long it's been since we've had a Merged Worlds episode. I mentioned it at the beginning. I'll mention it again. Uh, my wife is has some medical issues we're dealing with right now. She has to have surgery next week. Um, so I've had to miss some times because, to be honest, Thursday is the best day for all of us to do a lot of the different testing and medical stuff she had to do. Uh, and I just haven't had as much time to write. Um, but I should be back on a regular schedule now. So we'll be doing Merged Worlds every other Thursday for this month. And then the first full week of October, we're going to be starting Merged Worlds every other Tuesday night. Same time, 8 p.m. Eastern. But Merged Worlds is going to move to Tuesday because my work schedule, my heartbreaking, soul-sucking job is uh, changing. Uh, but the schedule actually is going to be better. It's going to make it much easier for me to stream, give me more opportunity to write and get stuff out for you guys. Uh, so hopefully the move to Tuesday won't be too harsh. That means Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday I'm on YouTube, And then Wednesday, Friday, Saturday... I am on Twitch. Is that all the days of the week? Yes, because Thursday is the one day I'm not going to be streaming. But that new schedule will be posted up as well. Again, if you enjoyed today's episode, even if you're watching this in the future, please remember to click that like button. It definitely helps the channel out. Also, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel because uh, for those of you who may not have been here for a while, you notice the little clock up here. We are at 19,938 subscribers. That means 62 to go before we hit 20,000. And that's amazing. That's mind-blowing. I'm going to do something special for 20,000. So keep track. Keep an eye on that. Um, and if you have iTunes, Spotify, you listen to this as an audio podcast, please consider giving us the five stars and a rating and a follow over there as well. Um, it's very struggling trying to figure out how to get audio podcasts publicized. Or not publicized. It, 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 out there so people know that they exist um, and when it comes to those things giving it re reviews and giving it all the stars or the thumbs up or the likes uh, definitely the podcast iTunes, Spotify will do some of that work themselves So, um, and be sure to check out the Merge Worlds merch I talked about that earlier, here you go, check that out here's an idea of what some of the Merge Worlds merch looks like, we now have a holy symbol for all 19 of the gods, good, neutral, and evil you can find those holy symbols on my website, onlydraven.com Check those out. You can see you can get them on t-shirts and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, so hopefully check those out. If you'd like to see anything. If you see something you'd like, they don't have in your size or a color that you'd like, let me know. There's always other things I can do to get them on there. But that is going to do us for today. Thank you so much for letting me share Merge Worlds with you once again. It's so good to be back telling the tale. I hope that you will come back in two weeks more and hear a little bit more. And then we'll maybe see what's going on in the castle of Caradon and why our friends are in as much danger as they appear to be. All right? You folks have yourselves a wonderful evening, and we will see you again very soon. Thank you for visiting Merch Worlds. Mm -hmm.